I know that uh, that's what you wanted to see today. You, you came to church. You said, you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see Ryan's face floating away. That's, that's exactly what I wanted. So let's pray, um, and we'll get out of here. Cool. I'm kidding. Some of you actually bowed your head like we're going to end right there. Here's the best part. It's 11 o'clock. It's the last service of the day. I've been going over all day long, so guess buckle up, okay? Just buckle up. We're here for a while today, all right? So uh, we're going to have fun today. Um, let me say this. If you're a guest with us, I'm sorry, okay? Because uh, the last thing you expected when you came to church, you're like, man, we're going to check out this church. I hear it's doing amazing things for God. Can't wait to get there. And then you see this floating face, and you're like, I don't want to be here. Um, so if that's you, I just want to say, like, sorry, you're here. Um, the door's there. Feel free to go. Uh, but let me say this. With that, um, I got an email on Friday. Uh, on Friday, I got an email from an individual who their first time church was Thursday night. And so they got to see that video just as I did live. And, uh, and they wrote me an email on Friday and said, hey, I want you to know that um, what you shared on, on Thursday night was so real for us as a family to understand what Valley Life is about. And so uh, I just want you to know, like, if we just came to church there, we wouldn't have gotten the inside view of what this church is really about. And so I want to thank you for that. And so if you're a guest with us, I, I, I apologize a little bit, but I also go like, today we're going to peek behind the curtain and you're going to see why I love this church. You're going to get an opportunity to hear from me personally why today is so hard. See, I've been in ministry for 16 years. I was a senior pastor at first, and then I went off and I was a campus pastor in another church, and then I came out here. And so for 16 years, I've done this. For 16 years, I've stood in front of a group of people, some adults, some kids, some students. I've stood in front of groups of people and, and talked about what Jesus can do in the lives of other people, including my own. For 16 years, I've done that. I took 160 college credit hours to, to get to do what I do, and for 16 years I've, I've spent my, my whole life, you know, dedicated to this right here. I want to tell you that this week I've been incredibly frustrated. And the reason I've been incredibly frustrated is because there is no words to describe what this church has meant to me over the course of the last seven years. There's no words for me to, to get on this stage and to say that I've got, right now I've got 26 minutes, I'm just telling you right now it's longer. But there's no words for me to say exactly how much this church has meant to me. And so I've been really frustrated over the course of the last couple of weeks trying to put pen to paper or a keypad to screen to say exactly what I want to say to you. And so today, if you'll allow me, I'd like to just take a stroll down memory lane with you, if that's cool. Is that cool with everybody? I don't know what I'd say if you said no. Like, okay, moving to Omaha, right? Like, I don't... Started seven years ago. Seven years ago, I got a call from a guy named Nathan Rector. Nathan Rector was one of my good friends in college. Uh, he'd actually hired me at the church that I was at previous to here. So he hired me at this church called The Crossing. He was in Illinois. I was in Missouri. And he called me out of the blue, and he said, hey, Ryan, uh, it was after he moved, he moved to this place called Spokane, Washington, okay? So he had, he had hired me at Illinois, and then uh, he left shortly thereafter. A couple of years later, a year later, he, he left and came out to Spokane, Washington. And so uh, he's out here. And I, I hadn't really heard much from him over the course of time, but, but he called me up one day and said, hey, Ryan, I'd like you to think about uh, what it might look like for you and your family to move uh, to Washington with us. We think that God might be calling you out here, and so we'd like you to pray about it and think about it. And in that conversation with Nathan, I, I kind of did the, yeah, not really interested, man. I really like where I'm at. Remember that place you called me to earlier and asked me to be? That's where I am, and I'm good. And so we were fine, and I actually told him. I said, no, I'm not interested. Well, then I go home. And I see my wife, and, and my wife is kind of the Holy Spirit in our relationship. My wife can speak wisdom and discernment in so many ways that, that I, I got in front of her, and she said, Ryan, have you prayed about it? 
Well, no. I haven't. I just, I thought that we were good here in Missouri. She said, no, 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 no. Pray about it. And so I began praying about it. And over the course of praying about it, we decided, yeah, it's worth at least a trip out here. And so we got in a plane, and we, we flew out here, and we got here, and we arrived on a Wednesday. And we got to see the student ministry on a Wednesday night. And it wasn't necessarily the program that drew us in that was contagious. It was the leaders. We walked in, and we got here about an hour before program was supposed to start. And there was this group of leaders, about 20 to 30 of them, seated in a circle and they were talking about life and doing ministry together and talking about their finances and their marriage and really just kind of having a small group together before they get ready to, to pour into a bunch of students' lives. And I remember walking out of that Wednesday night going, man, this is contagious. This is absolutely contagious. We, we want to be a part of this. Is this where God would have us? Man, I would love to jump feet first into to that group of people, to that environment of people. going to be an incredible experience if God were to call us here. And so we went to bed that night and we woke up on Thursday morning. We woke up at like 3 a.m. because apparently the sun comes out here at like 3 a.m. And we are like, well, this is new. And so we went for a walk, and we were just talking about life and talking about what this transition could look like for us. We came to church that evening. It was a Thursday night. Who knew you had church on Thursday night? And we walked in. There was this crazy Norwegian guy <laughs> leading worship for us. Now, I need to clear something up. Because I've been mistaken for Eric so many times. So, and I, I just need to clear it up. All right? Eric, I see you back there. Come here. Come here. Can we just come here for a second? Come here. Come here. I want to just make this clear, okay? Hurry up, Eric. Come on. Yeah. Look, it's like he ran a triathlon yesterday. Did you, did you win a triathlon yesterday? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just need to clear this up, okay? I just need to clear this up. This is Eric. This is Ryan, okay? I know. I know. Yeah. Stunning resemblance, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love you, buddy. That's an 11 o'clock special right there. Get that Eric Spencer on stage. But Eric was leading us in worship that night. And I walked into church and got to sit through that service. And I'll say this, and I'll say this long after I'm gone. I believe that our worship team, and not just here but also in Otis, I believe that our worship team is one of the best on the planet. I really do. I really do. And it's not, it's not musically. Like, they're great musically. So, so hear me say that. They're great musically. They're great creatively. The things that they come up with for Easter or for Christmas or special services or worship nights, the thing that they come up with, man, it's incredible, the creativity of that team. But it's not even the creativity that, that draws me in to worship with those guys. It's their ability to understand that they are worshipers first. And in their worshiping, they're drawing us in to experience the presence of God. And I'm so thankful for that team. And so I walked out of here on that Thursday, and we went into the weekend. It was Friday and Saturday, and we met with the staff. We met with the elders. I remember riding around in a truck with a guy named Ed Palacio, who's an elder at the time, riding around with him, and he, he showed me all of Spokane, told me all about uh, the World's Fair, and all of this. He just kind of took me on a, on a tour of Spokane. I was like, man, this guy's really selling this thing. It was over the course of that weekend that Blair and I sat at a place called Froyo. Yeah. A little piece of heaven, that Froyo. We sat there on some outdoor patio furniture. I remember it very clear. And we looked at each other and we said, this is where God would have us. This is exactly where God would have us. And so we went back to Missouri, packed stuff up, and came out here. And for seven years, God has done some incredible things here. For seven years, we've got to play a part of what has been an absolute blast working alongside 
and coming alongside so many of you. It has been a joy. We felt like God called us here, and we loved being here for these seven years. That's what makes today so hard. See, it'd be really easy if today, uh, if I didn't like this church, it'd be really easy for me to be like, yeah, we're, we're moving to Omaha. See you later, guys. But we love this church. And so what do you say to a church that you love so much? What are the words that you would express to a church that you love the way that I love this church? My mind immediately went to the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to a church that he loves in Philippi. Paul is in prison at the time of this writing. He doesn't think he's ever going to see these people again, and so he's in prison, and he's, he's writing them to encourage them. And I look at this context much like my context. Paul's in prison. I'm moving to Omaha. It's kind of the same deal. <laughs> he says this, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you heard, first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at Paul's words. I'd like to break it down into three different parts and talk about how Paul's words really, really kind of take forward what I would like to say to you today. The first thing I'd like to do is I'd just like to thank God for you. I'd like to thank God for you. There's specific groups of people that I'd like to thank God for today. First off, I want to thank God for the elders. If you are an elder, have been an elder in my time here, or a wife of an elder in my time here, would you stand up? I just want to honor you for a second. Thanks, Paul. Our elders are incredible. They're absolutely incredible. You've got Paul, and you've got Wayne, and Brian, and Mark, and Carl, and Ed, and of course, Dean during my time here. And the leadership that these guys show, the wisdom these guys show, the discernment these guys show, the encouragement these guys show as a volunteer to pour into to the staff and to pour into this church, many, many countless hours. I thank you guys for your dedication and your commitment. And, and Paul, I know that I know that for you, it started as kind of a, a long haul for you, man. Like, you started middle school ministry with me, dude. If you can handle middle school ministry, you can definitely handle eldership around here, right? Yeah. But it's been incredible watching you grow, Paul, especially into this, this area of leadership. But more importantly than all of that other stuff, Paul, I thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your friendship. I want to thank our staff. If you've served on staff with me during my time here at Seven Years, would you please stand up? I just want to honor you today. I love that staff. I want you to know that's what makes today really, really hard, is I love past and present staff. I mean, you go back to that story about Nathan. I told you a second ago, Nathan was one of my, one of my great friends. He, he got us out here, and then a couple years later, he moved on us. <laughs> hate that guy. <laughs> no, really, hate that guy. <laughs> Kidding. I, I talk to Nathan almost daily. Nathan was one of the guys that I reached out to over the course of this week saying, dude, you didn't tell me how frustrating this week would be. And he goes, oh, I know. I know exactly what that's like. He, he did this five years ago. Many of you don't know this. In fact, I, I hesitate even sharing it. But five years ago when Nathan left, I began praying a prayer of, God, would you release me from this place? And it wasn't because I was unhappy. It wasn't because I didn't want to be here. It was just 
we felt like, you know what, it, it might be our time to go. And we felt like we heard from God over and over, nope, you stay. Nope, you stay. You're going to stay. Even, even though you don't have Nathan and Jamie and the great friendship that you have there, the family that you have with them, you stay in that place. And I'll tell you, years later, five years later, I am so thankful that God said stay. For the stories that we can tell and the, the memories we can share and the lives that we've seen changed over the course of these last five years since Nathan's been gone, I'm telling you right now, I'm so thankful that God said stay there for such a time as this. I'm thankful for our staff. Specifically, I'm thankful for a couple different teams that I get to serve on, the campus team, those that are over in Otis as well as the Freeman staff that's getting ready to take place. Thankful for that team. Thankful for the next-gen team. I've said it over and over and over again, and I always get in trouble for saying it, so what are you going to do, fire me? Let's try this, right? Okay, here we go. <laughs> I believe that the next-gen team, Diapers to Diplomas, is the greatest team on the planet, without a doubt. Without a doubt. That's past, that's present, and that's future. The team that has been assembled here to oversee diapers and diplomas, I've never seen a team more dedicated to seeing students find and follow Jesus than that team right there. They are incredible at it, and I love that team. That's what makes today incredibly hard. Last team that I need to thank is the lead team. You just saw Eric up here on stage with me. Eric's on the lead team. Sandy's on the lead team. I'm not positive Sandy's been in church this weekend, um, probably because Sandy's just doing all of the things, okay? That's what Sandy does. Sandy does everything around here, and I think that she might have skipped out of this weekend to do some other stuff so that she didn't have to say goodbye to me, but I love that lady. She's been a grandma to my kids. Uh, she actually almost helped me give birth uh, to Ezra, my youngest daughter. She was supposed to come over and help Blair, you know, and, and get Blair to the hospital with me, and uh, Blair was in much, much labor, and so Sandy almost helped. Uh, really glad we didn't have that happen. Be a different story. But Allison back here is also on the lead team. Allison has been a joy to work with, absolute blessing to be a part of. Last person I have to thank, have to thank is Dan Shields. I think it's really easy for people to start to put things together and to start to try and make stuff up. And can I just say this? Stop it. Please. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the church, quit making things up. Dan and I, I don't think we've ever been better. I love that guy to death. Absolutely love him. He's been a rock in my life. He's given wisdom, given encouragement. He's everything you'd want in a senior pastor. And I'm so thankful that I've got the opportunity to work with him over the course of the last four years. Four years ago, I preached a message on this stage right before he got here, a week before he got here, and it was a message called How to Pray for Your Pastor. Let me say this. He needs it now more than ever. And not because the church is in ruins, it's not. But because he's a senior pastor of a church, he needs your prayers. So be praying for him. Be praying for his family. Be praying for his wife. Be praying for his marriage. Be praying for his kids. Be praying for him. Because his job is not easy, but it's an incredible calling to call this place home. I also want to thank this congregation. Many of you have raised my kids. Some of you have had to babysit my kids. For that, I apologize. <laughs> Some of you have been teachers to my kids. Some of you have invited me into the hurts of your life, and I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to sit in rooms with you as you talk about this funeral or a family conflict or marriage or a diagnosis or something going on at the hospital or a job loss. 
Others of you have invited me into celebrations with you, like weddings and child dedications and, and promotions and births and adoptions. It's been a joy to sit in those moments with you. The last person I have to thank is my wife. She's been my support. She's been my rock. She has been the Holy Spirit in my life. Like I told you, that she asked me, hey, have you prayed about it? A very similar story when we got the call to think about moving to Omaha, Nebraska, to be closer to family, to do exactly what I'm doing here. Those words rung true in my heart as she said again, have we prayed about it? She can blame her today. <laughs> John 13, 35 says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Church, you have lived this out. You have lived, John 13, out to my family and to me specifically. You have loved me over my course of time here, and so I thank you so very much for loving me the way that you've loved me. So quick application question, because I don't want to make this day all about me. Let's move forward. Who is it you're thankful for? As you hear the things that, that I'm thankful for as I'm getting ready to, to leave and, and to transition out of here, who is it you're thankful for? Who do you thank God for today? Keep that in your head. We'll come back to it. The second thing Paul does is he says, hey, I pray for joy. I pray with joy. I pray for joy. It says this in, in the Psalms. It says this, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Psalm 105, verse 1. Pray with joy. Be joyful with the things that God has accomplished. And I'll tell you what, church, God has accomplished so much here this week. So much. He's accomplished so much over the course of my, my seven years here. He's accomplished so much in the lives of so many people in this place and as well as over in Otis as well. Now, this week I was pretty frustrated, like I told you. And so as I was working through this, this book in, in Philippians, I was working through it and trying to figure out what is it that I want to communicate? How is it that I want to communicate? And I started just writing down people that bring me joy from this church or the things that have brought me joy from this church. And so I just started making a list. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to share just a few of those. I'm not going to share all of them because otherwise we'd be here until like next week, okay? We literally would be here until next week. So let me just give you a couple of them. The first person that brings me joy is a guy by the name of Andy Olson. Andy Olson was one of the first guys I met when I got here. At the time, Andy Olson was the head coach of the Spokane Shock. Rest in peace, Spokane Shock. He pulled me aside and he said, Ryan, I, I want somebody to come in and to invest in the lives of these guys. Because, yeah, they're pretty good at football, but most of them are fathers, and they need to know how to be a father. And they really need to know how to put their, their faith in something other than football because this is kind of the end of the rope for them. And so they need to put their faith in Jesus. And so would you come and would you kind of speak into their life on a weekly basis? I said, Andy, what, what are you thinking? He said, why, why, don't we, why don't we try like a Bible study? Let's start there, start a Bible study and see who shows up. Just, just voluntary Bible study. Anybody that wants to show up can show up. So we started there. And then it took another step forward and I said, well, okay, Ryan, not just the Bible study. Let's actually have you come and talk to the entire team. And the guys can't suit up the next day unless they come to chapel with you. I'm like, whoa, we're getting, we're getting pretty heavy here. He's like, and they can't wear earbuds, and so it's the day before we travel, or it's the day before a home game. You're going to go, and you're going to actually tell them about faith in Jesus, not just football, not just how to be a better father. You're actually going to tell them about Jesus. All right. And so I showed up, and what I found was that as I built relationships with these guys over the course of time, these guys were very receptive to who Jesus was in their life. 
And as I continued to talk with them about their, their family and began to talk with them about football and began to show them who Jesus was as the way that I lived out my life, that he was worth living for, there's almost not a week that goes by that I don't get a text from one of those guys just asking me how I'm doing, giving me things to pray for for their own life. I thank God. It gives me joy to know that I was able to speak into those guys' lives. So I thank Andy for that. I think of stories of students. And I could go on and on and on about students, just so you know. There's some students that inspire me in this place. I'll just tell you a couple of them. A girl by the name of Promise Mauer. I met Promise when she was in junior high. And Promise was one of those students that showed up in junior high and just for the fun of middle school ministry. Sure enough, she found Jesus in the process of that. And she was so on fire that she was going to go back into her home and she was going to tell her parents about who Jesus was in her own life. And I wish I could tell you that the story was great where she went back into her home and her parents were like, yeah, let's follow Jesus together. Let's do it all together. Wasn't the case. In fact, she, she got lots of resistance from her parents. But she kept coming and kept falling more in love with Jesus and more in love with Jesus and more in love with Jesus. And today, Promise is a sophomore at Washington State University living a life of faith, even though her parents don't. I think of Jersey. Jersey's a girl who, very similar story to Promises, except her parents were like, yeah, let's get on board. She came, found Jesus. Her parents were like, yeah, let's do that. And Jersey didn't just stop there. Jersey took it another step forward. We had CIY, summer conference, high school conference we go to every year a couple weeks back. She had a friend that she really wanted to get to come to CIY with her. But her friend couldn't afford it. And Jersey said, you know what, I'll take care of it. High school student found a way to take care of this very expensive price tag for one of her friends to get to come and hear about who Jesus is and what Jesus is capable of doing in her life as well. And I could go on and on and on and on and on about stories of students. Stories of students who've decided to take their their livelihood and put it into full-time ministry. Stories of Edie and Logan and Brent and Brittany and Kendall. I can't forget Mackenzie. Mackenzie, who has realized that her calling in life is to pour into young middle school and high school girls, and right now she has started Young Life at Freeman. So thankful for you, Mackenzie. I think of Janet Schmidt. Janet Schmidt was somebody that I conned into coming to middle school camp with me a few years back. I said, hey, Janet, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to come and bring your fifth wheel. I'd love for you to park it at the camp. And I want you to be the camp mom at this camp. What that looks like is that on uh, day three, day four, something like that, we're going to have some students that are going to get really, really homesick. And so I need you to be there when these students get homesick to come and to hang out in your fifth wheel and you give them candy and tell them it's going to be okay. And then you send them back to their cabins and let their cabin leaders deal with them, okay? You cool with that, Janet? And Janet said, yeah, it sounds like a vacation. Very far from a vacation. I mean, she, she brought her blender. She brought her lawn chair. She was ready to have a great week. By day two, Janet came to me and she said, Ryan, I, I can't do this. I said, you can't do what? You can't be the camp mom? She said, no, 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 no. I can't sit and wait for students to come to me. I got to go to them. She'd watched too many students hurting that week by day two that she was all in on serving students and is one of our most dedicated leaders right now in our high school ministry. Got her family involved. I think of Jeff Dunham, old Jeffrey. I met Jeff uh, a couple years back. Uh, I was 
what we call Pumpkin Fest. What Pumpkin Fest is, it's an event where we would invite other churches here, uh, sometimes do it on our own. It's a big dodgeball tournament right around the time of Halloween. I can say Halloween from the stage because what are you going to do, right? Fire me. And so, um, so we had this big event right around, right around Halloween time. And it, it was amazing because Jeff comes to me. We, we played this one game this year. It's called Pumpkin Chucking, where you grabbed a pumpkin and you saw how far you could throw it. And Jeff comes up to me after that event and he goes, hey, Ryan, that pumpkin chucking, that was lame. Okay, Jeff, I just met you. Let's, let's talk about other things that are lame, okay? And so, um, so he tells me he, that was lame. He goes, next year, can I build you a trebuchet? Sure, I guess. I didn't know what a trebuchet was. Had no idea. I didn't know how to spell it, so I didn't even look it up. And again, I just met the guy, so I wasn't, I wasn't sure that he would actually pull through. And so, uh, you know, months go by, months go by, months go by, and then all of a sudden, Jeff calls me up. It's, it's right around October something, October 1st or so. He calls me up and he says, hey, Ryan, I'm pulling into the church right now. I need five or six guys to come help me unload this thing. <laughs> unload what, Jeff? It was that trebuchet. You, you told me you wanted me to build a trebuchet, so I need you to help me unload this thing. Okay. So I go outside and I see this wood contraption. I mean, the guy had to have bought the store of Lowe's. He, like, he had to buy the whole store to make what he made. It was probably half the size of this stage. And he's like, Ryan, I need you to get me a, a watermelon. I need you to get me a pumpkin, a milk jug. And he starts naming off stuff. And I'm like, okay, whatever you need, man. I want to see how this thing works. And so we get a milk jug. And, and we, we cut the thing, and all of a sudden it flies, literally flew to Idaho. <laughs> I might not be exaggerating, okay? This thing flew. And I was like, Jeff, this is amazing. You build me one for my backyard, I want to throw stuff at my neighbors. <laughs> he took that small permission of, yes, go build that. Sure, I don't know what that is. And he's taking small permission after small permission after small permission. You know what Jeff's doing right now? Jeff is writing a small group curriculum for a high school ministry. And it's so good. It is so good. Like, here's the deal. I'm stealing copies when I leave. It's that good. It's incredible. I think of guys like Doug Stewart. Doug Stewart was a guy who came to me right before we went to CIY one year. He said, hey, Ryan, how much does it cost to send a student? And I gave him the price tag. It's, it's steep. He said, I'll pay for a student. I said, okay. He handed me a check. A couple weeks later after we got back from CIY, he said, hey, Ryan, tell me about the life change that took place at CIY. Would you tell me about all the things? And so I just gave him Cliff Notes version. I didn't give him the whole thing. I just, here's some students that gave life to Jesus. Here's some students that decided to do this. Just walk through some stuff. He said, you know what, Ryan, it's not enough for me just to give money. Next year, I'm going. Jeff, er, sorry, he's gone now, Doug has gone now three years in a row. He's baptized six students because he's pouring into the lives of high school men. See, I, I could go on and on and on about stories that bring me joy. They're stories of tragedy turned triumph. Story of Jace Malik. Jason Malik was a high school senior when he found out he had cancer. He was a high school senior who had just accepted a full ride offer to go play football at Idaho University. And he found out he had cancer, terminal cancer. And I watched as this young man fell more in love with Jesus through the cancer. And I watched him get completely on fire for what God could do in his life as he inspired others around him to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. His friends, his teammates, people all over the world. In fact, CIY, that conference I've been telling you about, 
contacted me and said, hey, we'd like to tell Jace's story. See, when Jace was still alive, Jace gave permission that a group of people could come in and film a documentary on him. And so CIY said, yeah, we'd love to do that. And so they came in and they followed him around really for his last year of his life and watched him fall more in love with Jesus through the process of that. And they took that documentary and they showed it to 50,000 high school students over that summer. What's amazing about that story is that through the life of Jason, through that story, we received an email from a guy, he's a youth pastor in California, who said, I want you to know that that story of Jace inspired me. It didn't just inspire me, it allowed me to come to a closer knowledge of who Jesus is, and allowed my leaders to, and allowed my students to. Very eloquent email that just spelled out everything that we had hoped for when Jace said, yes, would you please, please, please tell my story? I want other peers to hear my story. That email was from a guy by the name of Tyler Lane, our high school pastor. We hired him because he can write a good email. <laughs> Kidding. Stories of tragedy turned triumph. I, I think about the events that took place at Freeman almost two years ago. The tragedy, the horrific events that took place there. But the triumph that has already taken place through the lives of these individuals who have decided, you know what, we're going to stand strong in our faith even in the midst of this. We're going to show people who Jesus is through this and the triumph that will take place when we decide to launch a campus there come February. Right, Brad? That's right. I can tell you stories of families who have gotten back together tell you stories of families who've needed groups of people to come alongside them. That's why we, we stress groups so much in the midst of trial, in the midst of miscarriage, in the midst of divorce, in the midst of all of these different things where families have come together in groups. I can tell you stories of cancer diagnosis where a group of people came alongside someone or the loss of a family member. I can tell you stories of names on the baptistry. In fact, one of my favorite stories of the baptistry was one of these days where Somebody went over, they were getting baptized, and as they came up out of the water, somebody grabbed the Sharpie and walked over and just crossed their name off the baptistry. Like, got them. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was incredible. There are so many stories that bring me joy. It's an application question for you. What story or what stories of people coming to faith bring you joy? What brings you joy? Last thing Paul says, and here's the deal. Um, it's 11 o'clock, uh, 11.55 to be honest, and uh, I'm already two over, so if you need to go, feel free. Um, if not, uh, we're here for another hour. Uh, so here we go. <laughs> Third thing Paul says is uh, I, I want partnership in the, in the gospel. I want partnership in the gospel. Everybody do this. Everybody breathe in. Now breathe out. Do it again. Breathe in. Breathe out. If you can do that, God's not done. He's not done with you. If you can do that, if you can breathe in and breathe out, if you can fog a mirror, God is not done with you yet. If you're breathing, God's not done. He's not. That's why in Matthew it says this. Hang on one second. My calendar popped up for some reason. As you can see, we've got some stuff happening today. It says this. 
Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these disciples uh, to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We say it a little simpler around here. We say, be and make disciples. Be and make disciples. See, that's our calling as a church. That's our calling as individuals. That's our calling as a family to be and to make disciples. That's why in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God didn't stop at Judea and Samaria. He made sure to include the ends of the earth because, because he wants to make sure that his grace extends to all nations, to all people, to all generations. His message is not for us to keep grace to ourselves. His message is to be and to make disciples, to go and do just that. Remember the game Simon Says? You guys remember that game? Where Simon says to do something and you do it? Let's, let's practice, okay? Simon Says, clap. Not everybody did it, so you're out, okay? Uh, Simon Says, pat your head. Simon Says, rub your belly. I'm kidding, okay. I wanted to see who could do that. I wanted to see who could pat their bed. Yeah. So oftentimes... We treat the Bible opposite of the game, Simon says, where Jesus says, go and do this, be and make disciples. And we say, well, Jesus, I just need to memorize this verse first. If I just memorize this verse first, then, then I, I can maybe go do that. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I called you to do. I called you to be and make disciples. That's what I called you to do, so go and do it. But Jesus, I just need to get a group of people together, and we'll sit and we'll study it for years, and then we might think about going and doing it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I called you to be and to make disciples. And so we as a church, we as individuals, what we need to do is we need to do what Jesus called us to do, to be and make disciples. That's what he called us to. And so often we sit back and we wait and we wait and we wait and God says, no, 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 this is what I called you to. Simon didn't have to say so, Jesus did. Be and make disciples. It's not enough for us to memorize scripture. It's not enough for us to do that. It's enough for us to actually do what he calls us to do. Why does he call us to do that? Because Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says this, but my life, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, every home needs God's grace, but not every home has God's grace. And so we must be about what God's called us to, to be and to make disciples, to go forward and extend God's grace to everyone around us. Every home needs God's grace, even homes in Omaha. See, we'd love for you to come with us. I've got a U-Haul. Come on. I'd love for you to come. But even if you don't, we're going to do this together. We're going to be and make disciples together just in different locations until Jesus returns. So here's the application question for you. Who is it that needs God's grace? Who is it that needs God's forgiveness? Who is the person in your life, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family? Who is it that needs to know who Jesus is? See, I've given you a number of different ways to apply today. Today we're going to do something a little bit different, a little bit out of your comfort zone, and you know what? I don't care if it's out of your comfort zone because I'm leaving tomorrow, so there you go. In this room, there's a table behind the sound booth. There's a table right over here. There's a table right over here. And there's some note cards on the stage. Every table has the same thing. Every part of the stage has the same thing. It's a note card and a pen. Now, I've asked you three different questions today. Question one, who, who are you thankful for? Here's what I'd like you to do. If that's the question that resonated with you today, I'd like you to actually write a thank you card to somebody today. 
say thank you. You, you never know the words that could be expressed in a thank you card and how far that will actually extend. Do you know that in the top left-hand drawer of my desk, I've got every word of affirmation I've ever received in my life. Every thank you card, every encouragement card in the top left-hand drawer of my desk because guess what? I have bad days. I'll open that up and I'll start reading through and flipping through and seeing that I'm making a difference. And maybe for you, you just need to write a thank you to somebody. And maybe it's application number two. Who or what brings you joy? Maybe for you, it might be just writing that person's name down and putting that in a place where you're going to see it every single day to be reminded on the bad days, on the days where it feels like God's not present, on the days where it feels like you're just kind of going through the motions that you might look at that and go, you know what? That thing or that person brings me joy. And so for that, I can be joyful today. Or maybe it's who needs to hear about the grace of Jesus? I'm going to ask you to do something bold today. I'm going to ask you to write their name down on a card and put it in a spot in your house or in your car or at your office where you're going to see it on a daily basis and pray for boldness to speak into that person's life. So we're going to sing a song, and I'm just going to invite you to move out of your comfort zone and to go to one of the stations and begin writing. What Paul says here, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, as he wraps it up, is exactly what, what I would have loved to say today. This is this. My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. Would you stand? I want to pray over you. God, I thank you. I thank you for the time that, that we've had as a family here. Thank you for these people, the joy that they bring. God, I pray that as we leave this place today, that, God, you would continue to, to be at work in this place. That, God, you are not done, and there are so many people that need to know about your grace and your love and your mercy in the surrounding area. And so, God, allow us as we leave this place today, all of us, to be about what you've called us to, to be and to make disciples. God, we love you. We thank you. You know, we pray. Amen.